We've been in a series together over the last several weeks that we've been called Growing in Grace. And as a matter of fact, I think this is our ninth week on this. Um, and I sense that we're kind of coming to an end. We'll do as the Lord leads us to do here. But uh, of course, you know, that means we've not that we've said everything there is to say about this. That's for sure. There's so much to be seen concerning the grace of God. But I'm just stirred up this morning and I'm excited about watching his grace grow on us and his grace grow in us. That comes from second Peter chapter three. He said, continue to grow in the grace of God. That same grace that you tasted of when you were born again, the Bible says he gives more. And as great and wonderful, as marvelous and miraculous as that grace was, there's more. There's more grace. And, and like we said, he's just giving it away. And if he's just giving it away, does anybody else in here, would you raise a hand and say, I'll take some, I want some? Man, when you find out what grace is and what it is enabling you to do, you'll live the rest of your life going, how do I get more of it? I want more of that grace. And we can grow in it. And what would life look like if you just kept growing in that grace and growing in that grace? Man, I'm telling you, things that were hard, things that were challenging to you, with, with an increase of the grace of God on your life, those things become easy. Those things become uh, like, like light weight to you. And you think, man, this was so hard a year ago. I couldn't even do this a year ago. What's changed? You got more grace. You're increasing in the grace of God. And we've been looking in Acts chapter four at a statement the scripture made about the grace of God on this early church. And in Acts chapter four, it says in verse 33, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Would you say that last statement with me? And great grace was upon them all. Say it one more time. And great grace was upon them all. Not just on some preachers, not just on some ministry leaders, not just on a select few people. Great grace was upon them all. Was on all of them. That word up on, what's it mean? Up on. It means something was on these people. And this is how the Bible summarizes everything that had been going on in this church. As we read it for the last several chapters, I don't know how many days, weeks, or months, or even years had progressed at this point, but what you've already seen is the Spirit of God coming on these people. These people being filled with His Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and preaching with so much power that thousands of people were added to the church in a day. Somebody help me out. What is that? That's grace. That didn't come as the result of Peter and the boys and their great marketing ability to the community. No, they grew because of grace. They increased because of grace. There were miracles in the church. Why? Because of grace. Great grace was on them. And not just a little bit of grace, great grace. So again, that should tell you, you can grow in this stuff. And that's what I'm so stirred up about watching happen in this place on this house and on your house. The grace of God growing on you and growing on me so much that, that people just have to step back and look and say, there's a ton of grace on these people. They got a bunch of grace on them. 
And I'm telling you, I, I, I see it in my life maybe more clearly than I ever have before. The grace that we're walking in, but the grace that there is to grow in. And I'm telling you, I am before the Lord almost on a daily basis saying, Lord, I need more of it. I want more of it. I desire more of it. The grace to pastor, the grace to lead, the grace to minister. I want it. I want the grace to be a husband. I want the grace that's available to be a father. Anybody else interested in some of this grace? Well, that's what we've been talking about for the last two months. What the grace of God is and how to get our hands on more of it, right? And we have seen that his grace is his gifting, his enablings. We've seen that his grace is the help of his Holy Spirit. We've seen that his grace is the favor that we have, not just with him, but with other people. We've seen that his grace flows to us, that it might flow through us. And we talked about that last week in our service. And if you were with us last week in church, you know, we had quite a day. It was a, it was a day unlike any day we've had in church. And if you're going, oh man, I missed it. Well, you missed it. But I'm so thankful that the Lord was present to help us and enable us and strengthen us. And I, I went home going, thinking, Lord, there were so many things that tried to pop up through the day that just to distract or to, to pull attention in other places. And I got to thinking about what the assignment was on the word that day. We talked about grace flowing to you. And the only thing that can stop grace flowing to you is when you stop grace from flowing through you. Now, can you imagine why our enemy might want that unheard, might want your attention pulled away from that? We talked about the power of forgiveness. Because when forgiveness is coming through you, that's grace flowing through you. That's grace flowing through you. And when you and I refuse to forgive, what we don't realize we're doing is we're saying, Lord, stop the grace flowing to me. And you can see why now the enemy would work so hard to distract us. But I believe he's not going to keep us from hearing this word. Grace flows to you that it might flow through you. And as it flows through you, it then flows to you. It's this cycle that keeps going and going and growing and growing. Now I want to talk some more as we wrap this up about the grace of God. Go to the book of Exodus chapter uh, 33. Believe with me today. I want to get this exactly the way the Lord wants us to get it. We'll look at several scriptures, but for the most part today, I just want you to listen. I don't want you to get in too much of a head mode I know some of you are avid note takers and that's great. That's wonderful. But I really want you to listen today with your heart. There are some things I believe the Lord wants to say today, but beyond what he just wants to say, I believe there's some things he wants to do. And I will tell you this, that as a minister and as your pastor, I am not content for you and I to come in here, look at each other for an hour or two, and then walk out of this place unchanged and untouched. I have a personal goal as a minister, and it's been my goal for years, that at some point as I preach the word, that the anointing on that word takes what we're saying and it quits becoming the topic of a message 
and it starts becoming the atmosphere of the room. That's what I want to happen. As we teach and preach faith, I don't want you just to learn some facts about faith. I want the atmosphere of the room to be filled with faith. I want you breathing in faith and walking out of here facing things that looked impossible and you say, just because of your time in here, you go, no, it can be done. All things are possible. As we talk about the love of God, I don't want that to just be the topic of a message. I want that to become the atmosphere of this room. I want you breathing in love. I want you coming in one way and leaving with one revelation. I'm loved. I'm loved by God and I'm loved by these crazy people. As a minister, that's my personal goal, that we don't just talk about some stuff. We experience what we're talking about. And I want that to happen today. In Exodus chapter 33, begin in verse one, the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. Listen to this. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. You notice he's uh, not claiming them anymore. He said, depart from here, you and the people that you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it. He said in verse two, I'll send my angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Verse three, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. He said, you go, but I'm not going with you. I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. God's going, I'm not going with you. Y'all go. If I go, I might kill the whole bunch of you. <laughs> your stubbornness, your hard headedness, your hard heartedness. God had had it with these people. And he told Moses, I ain't going. I'm not going with you. It says in verse 12, skip ahead. Moses said to the Lord, see, now look, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me yet. You have said, I know you by name and you also have found grace in my sight. Now, Moses is talking to God in a way that not everybody got to talk to him. In the verse before this, you read where the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, we know from later in this chapter, that doesn't mean that Moses literally got to see God's face because he asked to. He said, I want to see your glory. I want to see the part of you that makes you, you. Now, the, the whole conversation leading up to that, Moses was getting some, getting some stuff, man. He was getting some stuff from God. Everything was going Moses' way. And so I like to say this is where Moses kind of goes all in. Show me your glory. And God essentially looked at him and said, I could show you, but then I'd have to kill you. No man can see my face and live. So what does it mean that they spoke face to face like a man speaks to his friend? I believe it means they spoke in a very intimate way. They spoke with no pretense between them. And you can hear that in the way Moses is speaking to God. He said, no, wait a second. Because God told him, look, I ain't going with you. I'm going to kill the whole bunch of you. I am not going with you. And Moses said, notice what his first word, see. We say, look, Come on, look, 
You said we're going, but you didn't tell me who's going with me. Huh? And speaking of all this, you said I found grace in your sight. What's the deal here? What is he saying? Something doesn't make sense. Something doesn't add up. I found grace, but you're not going. I found grace, but you're not going. He said, I found grace. You said I found grace in your sight. Verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I might find or I might continue to find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And in verse 14, God said, fine. That's my paraphrase, but that's essentially what he said. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. What did Moses say to him? He's talking like he would to a friend. If your presence doesn't go, don't send us up. You know what he's saying to him? If you ain't going, we ain't going. And that's smart. I said, that's smart. That's a mentality that you and I would be smart to adopt in our own lives. If he ain't going, we ain't going. I'm not going without the presence of God. And can you see the connection here between the presence of God and finding grace in his sight? Everything we've talked about for two months, that the grace of God is his help, his favor, his forgiveness, his strengthening, his enabling, all of this and so much more can be summed up in one statement. It's his presence. It's his presence, his presence with you. And this is supposed to be one of the distinguishing characteristics of the child of God is his presence with us. One of the distinguishing marks of God's children should be God's presence with his children. So as we talk about him helping us, what are we saying? He's with us. The help of his Holy Spirit is God with us. As we talk about his grace being what strengthens us, what are we saying? He's present. His presence with us. Now, what did I say to you a moment ago? I'm not content just to talk about something. I don't want you leaving here today with some facts and figures about the presence of God. <laughs> that does nothing for anybody. I want to talk about this until it becomes, thank you, Lord, the air we're breathing, his presence with us. What did Moses say? If you ain't going, we ain't going. Husbands, wives, listen, this needs to be one of the main themes in your home. 
As you make decisions about where you're headed as a family, what you're going to do, if there's a move coming up, the big thing you need to be able to answer is, is the presence of the Lord in that? Because if he ain't going, come on, help me. We ain't going. I'm not doing this without him. Because if I don't have his presence, then I don't have his grace. And if I don't have his grace, I don't have his help. I don't have his strength. I don't have his enablings. I don't have what I need to have. If he ain't going, we ain't going. He said, how then, verse 16, will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? Church, his presence, his presence on your life and in your home is the proof that you found grace, that you found grace in his sight. And just in that statement alone, there's tons of revelation. Find grace in his sight. What does that mean? It means you found out that's the only place grace is found is in knowing how he sees you. That's grace found in his sight. And this is supposed to be one of the distinguishing characteristics of the grace of God in the people of God. His, if the grace of God is on you, then the presence of God is with you. Now, here's where I want you just to listen for just a minute. Let me just read to you a few things that the scripture says about the presence of God and God being with you. You see that statement over and over, Old Testament and New, God was with this person and God was with them and God was with them and what that enabled them to do. The, the Bible says this about a man named Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. That's his presence, right? The Lord was with Joseph and here's the result. He was a successful man. Now people aren't always quick to put the two together. But I want us to be quick to identify grace and when success is happening in our lives that we're quick to say, that's the Lord with us. That's God with me. That's his grace on me. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper. Now look at the connection. So Joseph found favor in his sight. Here's the connection between the grace of God and the presence of God. You remember a man named Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verse nine, the Lord spoke to him and said, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord. Your God is with you. This is what happens in the presence of God. Fear leaves, fear leaves. Now we know that's just purely on a, on a natural basis. We know what happens when we're in intense situations and fearful situations. There's a difference between walking, some, walking through something like that on your own and walking through it with somebody by you. Just having somebody else present helps to suck the fear out of the situation. Man, I learned this in a big way. My senior year in high school, my grandfather came to me and said, hey, how'd you like to learn to fly? And uh, I didn't want to tell him. I was a little nervous at the thought of it, kind of fearful about it. But, but Papa said, hey, if you want to do it, I'll help you with it. I'll put you through it. We'll get you an instructor. So senior year of high school, I went into flight school. 
and started learning to fly and went through the groundwork and went through the, uh, the, the initial flying, gaining hours, building hours. About 20 hours of flight time in is when they want you to do your first solo. Do you know what the word solo means? It means that dude's getting out of the airplane and you're going to be in there by yourself. Now I had flown with this guy, I had an instructor, flown with him, like I said, for about 20 hours or so, uh, when you put it all together, but it came time to do my first solo. And we flew out to uh, my grandparents' ministry. There's an airport there on the property. And my family was there watching everybody come to see Jeremy do his first solo. <laughs> what I didn't realize when you're flying these, these little airplanes, Cessna 172, small, not, not, not much power at all. When this guy who I'd been flying with, who's 200 and whatever pounds, gets out of the airplane, it totally changes everything. <laughs> I didn't really put all that together. So he gets out. Mom and dad are standing there watching. There's this, just a small little group of family and friends. I taxi down to the end of that runway and I take off, come around the pattern. Nothing looks right. Nothing looks the same. This, everything has changed. Why? Because this guy got out. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I got sweat the size of baseballs dripping down my back. <laughs> And I go around, didn't even land, didn't even come. I'm supposed to do three touch and goes. You know what touch and go is? It's where you come down, you take off again. I'm supposed to do three of those to pass my first solo. I come around the first time, didn't even land. Do a go around, come around. I'm thinking, Jeremy, you have to put this thing on the ground at some point. <laughs> so I come in, I line it all up. But there again, I didn't factor for the, for the weight differential that had just gotten out of the airplane and 200 and whatever pounds is enough to make a difference. I slammed that airplane into the ground so hard that thing, I didn't crash, but bounced up off the ground. It looked like a basketball going down that runway. And I thought, dear God, I got to do this two more times. I took off again. I start coming around. I look out and where mom and dad were standing, a fire truck pulls up. <laughs> you know how you process things all at once? I'm going, now somebody either called these folks before I ever took off or they saw the first landing and got here as quick as they could. Either way, I'm not confident right now. I've got emergency medical staff standing by. And I did that second landing and thank God it was a little better. And then I did the third landing and it was pretty good. But I just remember that feeling of being solo, solo. And I felt it, man, being alone. And I had worked up a little bit of confidence flying with the guy. But man, when I was on my own, it was a totally different thing. And I say all that to tell you this, what happens to fear when you know you're not alone. When you're confident, I am not alone. Now, people famously have said for years, God is my co-pilot. If God's your co-pilot, switch seats, man, because you are, that, that's wrong. Just get that corrected right away. He's way better at it than you are. Trust me. And the Lord helped me with it and I thank God for it. But I just, uh, again, I just remember that feeling of being alone and the fear that came with it. 
But what did God tell Joshua? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be bold. Be courageous. Okay, Lord, where's that courage going to come from? Where's that strength going to come from? I'm here. I'm with you. I'm present with you. The Bible said this about Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel of the Lord came and spoke to her in Luke chapter one, he said, rejoice, highly favored one. What's that mean? Great grace is on you, girl. You got some mega grace on you. Rejoice, he said, highly favored one. The Lord is with you and blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You have found grace with God. Don't be afraid. You're in the presence of God. God is in your presence. God is with you. Do you realize the same thing was said about Jesus? Now, weeks ago, we studied the grace of God on Jesus the grace that was on him from the time he was born and the grace that he grew and how he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. That's grace with God and with men. And that's what was happening in Jesus' life for those first 30 years of his life. He was doing one thing, growing in this grace and growing in this grace and growing in it and growing in it and growing in it till you get to John chapter one. And the Bible says, we all beheld the glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Full and overflowing with grace and truth. And John said, and we all have received of that grace, grace upon grace upon grace. See, Jesus grew in it and he kept growing in it. And as he kept growing in it, he kept overflowing with it. And I guess the point is here that the people around you and around me are receiving from us whatever we're full of. Whatever we're overflowing with, that's what people are getting from you. Now, if you are full of yourself and overflowing with you, you might be a nice guy, a nice girl, but that's not what the people around you are in need of. They need us full and overflowing with this same grace, grace upon grace upon grace and church. As you grow in it, it, it's filling up on the inside of you and there's coming all oh, glory to God. This is what I'm so excited about. There's coming a tipping point. There's coming a boiling point. There's only so much you can put in a container that when it fills up, one more drop and that thing starts to overflow and you just keep filling and filling and filling and then it begins to overflow and overflow and that's what people around you are getting, that overflow. And I'm telling you, there's coming a tipping point in this church. There's coming a tipping point in your life and in your house where you spend this kind of time growing in this grace and feeding on this word. It's gonna fill up in you and it will overflow. Say praise God. Say amen if you believe it. This is what happened in Jesus. And the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 10, you know this verse, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. That's how Jesus did what Jesus did. God was with him. That was the source of every miracle. 
God was with him. The presence of God on him. Well, I thought it was the grace on him. That's what I said. The grace of God on him is the presence of God with him. And it got to the point where even religious people, you remember Nicodemus came to him in John chapter three and he, he, the Bible says he came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This is what people began to recognize about Jesus. God's with him. The presence of God is all over him. That's how he did these things. That's how he worked these miracles. God was with him. God was with Joseph. God was with Joshua. God was with Mary. God was with Jesus. And I'm telling you, church, God is with you. He's with you. Jesus said it to his disciples in Matthew chapter 19. He said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, somebody say, with God, all things are possible. Listen to that scripture from the Weist translation. I know this is a lot of scripture, but I'm, I'm wanting to prove something to you this morning. From the Weist translation, it says, Jesus, having turned his eyes upon them and having considered them, said to them, in the presence of men. So this is bringing more clarity and definition to what it means to be either with men or with God. Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Listen to what that means. He said to them, in the presence of men, as men look at this. So whatever situation, whatever impossibility you're presently staring down the barrel of, with men, in the presence of men, which also means as men look at it. As people look at it, the way people look at it, it is impossible and it will remain impossible. But then he said, with God. Well, what does it mean to be with God? The scripture says it like this, but in the presence of God, as he looks at it. Here's one of the big things that changes as you are more and increasingly aware of the presence of God in your life, the way you see things begins to change. I have spent nearly every day of the last 14 plus years of my life with a girl named Sarah. And in that time, just being around her, I see things in a way I didn't see them when I lived outside her presence. That's not uncommon. It happens all the time. Have you noticed that the more time you spend with somebody, the more you begin to see it the way they see it. Something you thought you'd never think that way about it. Yeah, I'd never say that. I'd never do that. And the more time you spend with that person, it just gets on you and you start seeing things the way they see things. And now all these years later, whether I'm in the room with her or not, I can tell you with almost a thousand percent surety, this is what Sarah Hart would say. This is what Sarah Hart would do. How can I be so confident? I've been with her. And I see things the way she sees things. 
And she would say the same thing to you. After all these years with me, she can speak with confidence on my behalf. I know Jeremy would say it like this. I know he would do it like this. I see it the way he sees it. How did that happen? Did I sit down with her when we got married with this big book of the way I see things? No, it happened as the result of being in each other's presence. That's it. Just prolonged time in each other's presence. And whatever impossibility you're facing, here's the thing. If you just continue to stay in the presence of men on that, it'll stay impossible. What do I mean by that? Well, you see it the way people see it. We've got this problem. I know what to do. Let's Google it. And there's a million responses and all of it, most all of it is going to be the way men see it. And as long as you just keep company there and you just stay in the presence of other people or you stay talking with other people that, that don't believe in faith and they're not going to approach it according to the word of God and, and somebody sees your problem and go, oh yeah, man, that is rough. That is bad. Oh my gosh. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What man, I'm glad I'm not in your shoes. What are you going to do? That's impossible. That's impossible. That's impossible. As long as you stay in the presence of people who see it that way, that's how you'll see it. It'll never change. But whatever impossibility you're facing right now, you, the, the first thing that really needs to happen is you need to change the way you see it. You might think, well, the first thing that's got to happen is all, all these natural things have got to change. We got to change this element. We got to change this part of it. No, what has to happen first is you have to change the way you see it. How's that going to happen? Get with God. Go get into his presence. Because the more time you spend with him, the more you begin to see things the way he sees things. And you start seeing things from his perspective. And all of a sudden, what looks so big is so small. What looked impossible, all of a sudden you're looking at it going, now wait a second. No, this is not impossible. This can be done. Because with God, all things are possible. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but trying to go somewhere, trying to get into some place and maybe it was exclusive and, and maybe you had to have your name on a list to get in there. And what if your name wasn't on the list, huh? And you're being turned away by that big dude standing at the door holding that list. And because your name's on it, you don't have access to whatever good things are going on inside. And just as you turn to walk away, this big black Cadillac, Escalade pulls up and out steps the guy who paid for all this. The guy who's putting on everything going on inside there, who also happens to be the one who invited you. And as you turn to walk away, this guy walks up and he says, no, wait, no, no, no. It's okay. Come on. I heard it. He's with me. He's with me. And there you are kind of peeking out from behind him. Yeah, I, I'm with him. I'm with him. What's that do for you? Boldness, confidence. Even if your name's not on the list, it matters who you're with. 
and everything, whatever it is going on in there, all that good and wonderful thing happening there, you get access to all of it. Why? Because I'm with him. This is what it means to be with God. Every good thing grace has made available. You know, in and of you, your name's not on the list. I said your name's not on the list because of something good you've done. But when you made Jesus Lord, you know what Jesus said? That's good. He's with me. He's with me. The presence of God. We've, we've limited maybe our understanding of the presence of God to, wow, that was such a good feeling today as we sang. Wow, that, that was so neat. I just felt so warm. And that, you know, warm's good. I, I hope you do. But there's so much, so much more to the presence of God that you carry with you every day. But this is one I want to get to in the last couple of minutes that we have. Go back to the book of Acts. The Lord spoke in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse eight and said, says the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So do not fear. Thank you, Lord. Acts chapter three. I want to show you today what I believe is one of the big things that comes as the result of being in the presence of God and something I don't think we've talked quite enough about. In Acts chapter three, we've mentioned this a little bit in our series so far as one of the indicators of the grace that was on this church. In verse one, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. It says in verse two, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms and fixing his eyes on them, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now notice what it said. Verse seven, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So if he received strength, if strength was the answer, then what was the problem? Weakness, which is what all sickness and disease is in one form or another. It's weakness. And as of Acts chapter two, Peter's got this Holy Spirit of God all over him. He's got this new anointing and this new grace. And he said, what I do have, I'm about to overflow with onto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately strength came. Strength. It says he received strength in verse eight. He, leap, he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, 
Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? See, Peter's smart. He knows if I want this to keep happening in my life, give God the glory for it. Don't take the credit. He said in verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Now listen, verse 19. Repent, therefore. See, this, this power's on him to preach. And he's preaching who Jesus was and is and who he, who he will be and who he is to come. And, and as a result of this message, he's preaching, repent, 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 therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, I bet most of you in here, if not all of you knew that. Didn't you know that when, the, when you repent? What happens? The blood of Jesus washes away your sins. They are blotted out. They are washed away. Did you know that that's what happens as the result of repentance? A quick show of hands. Who would raise a hand and say, yeah, duh, Jeremy, we knew that. The washing away of our sins. When you repent, the sins are washed away. But did you know that that's not the only thing included in your repentance? Repent, therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So that, look at this, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We've got this sin being washed away thing, but what we didn't realize was that just as much a part of our salvation as our sins being washed away is also this promise of times of refreshing times of refreshing that come from your time in the presence of God. Times of refreshing. If you have lived through 2020 and 2021, you need this. You need these times of refreshing. It's an interesting word, this, this word refreshing. It's the only time it appears in the entire New Testament this way. It's only used one time. It has to do, and other translations bring this out, it has to do with escaping the effects of heat. Being worn out by the heat. If you study it, it carries with it the idea of a cool breeze. A breath of fresh air and what that breeze does for you, the refreshing nature of that breeze, escaping the heat. As a former Texan who now lives in the mountains of Colorado, I can tell you what a good thing it is to escape the heat. 
I spent the first 40 years of my life in Texas and people say to you all the time, you get used to the heat. No, no. It's like for six months, somebody walking around with a blow dryer in your face, just <laughs> blowing hot air at you all the time. And one of the things I really began to, to realize over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so in Texas, I'm like, I'm worn out, man. Just the heat that's on all the time. You go outside and it's like instant sweat and you get tired. Then you make it back in as quick as you can and that cool air blowing in your face, it just does something for you. Now, now I have experienced not that artificial cold air, the real deal, this mountain air blowing in your face and how refreshing it is. It's like a cool breeze and it does something for you. It's interesting when you think about it, you go back to the book of Genesis and in chapter three, where you see God walking, he had come to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. One translation talks about the cool evening breeze. And I got to thinking about it. God's presence with them. Were they walking together because it was cool? Or is that what his presence did? Did his presence bring with it this refreshing, cool breeze? Like I said, if you've lived over the last 12 to 24 months, this is what you're in need of. And this is really what mankind has been in need of for all of human history. Because outside the presence of God, the heat is on. And you and I need a refreshing, a refreshing. The word itself is a miracle. Because everything else in this life gets to be fresh once. When it's new, it's fresh. After time, it's not. But here's what you and I get. We get this refreshing. And there's something born in us. It's inborn into us, this desire and this craving for fresh. We want fresh things. We're drawn to fresh things, aren't we? I mean, what if I put a table up here and I had on one side of the table this basket of beautiful red glistening apples that have just been picked. And on the other side, here's six or eight apples that were in the bottom of a drawer we forgot about six months ago. And, you know, they've turned a lovely shade of brown and gray and just soft and mushy. And you got 10 or 12 flies just sort of flying around the top of it here. Which one do you very naturally gravitate towards? Fresh or old? You want fresh. You want fresh. We desire it. We crave fresh. We're drawn to fresh. Sarah and I, a few years ago, on a vacation, uh, found a restaurant that was a farm-to-table restaurant. The only thing about this farm-to-table restaurant was they had a goal that much of their menu make it from their farm to your table in four hours or less. And it was right there on the ocean. And, and when they would offer you the fish for that evening, they'd say it was caught right there earlier today. Somebody say fresh. fresh. That's fresh. And you can taste it. I mean, it makes a difference. We're drawn to fresh. Do you have any coffee drinkers in the house this morning? Come on. What do you want? The pot that was just made or the one that got left out last night, you want fresh. 
there's a craving for fresh. But I think more than freshness in our food or freshness in coffee or whatever, the place we desire freshness the most is in fellowship, in relationship. There is a God-born desire and craving on the inside of you for freshness. I mean, married folks, just think back for a minute to those early days, right? I know it's not hard for me. I've already told you about my relationship with Sarah this morning. I just got to think back, you know, 14 years or so. And man, it was fresh. And those feelings that go with it. Come on, help me out, somebody. Don't be so, thank you. So stinking sanctified up in this place today. You remember that. You know what I'm talking about. It was just like, I'm in love. I'm in love. And I don't care who knows it. I literally came home from my first trip to Branson after meeting Sarah. And I walked into my best friend's house. And I literally did that in his foyer. I'm in love. And I'm in love. And I don't care who knows it. It's fresh, man. It's fresh. It's real. I mean, it's in every word. It's in every look. There's a freshness to it. And, and we crave that. We desire that. I was looking back at the book of Genesis uh, where it talked about Isaac and Rebecca, this, this couple. And I don't know how long it was into their marriage, but and I don't remember all the surrounding circumstances, but they were, they were in the presence of King Abimelech and Isaac had told Rebecca, tell him you're my sister. Why? Because you are so beautiful that he's going to want you and he's going to kill me to get you. So just tell him you're my sister, which is funny because it's what his dad had done years before. It's a whole other story, but so they did. But then Abimelech, the Bible says, is looking out the window and he sees Isaac and Rebecca, the King James, you got to love the King James, trying to put it as gentle as it can, sporting <laughs> with one another, sporting with each other. Isaac and Rebecca were sporting with each other. What's that mean? I don't know, but there was enough in it that Abimelech is like, that is not that dude's sister. <laughs> He's like, I got a sister and that is not what I do with my sister. Now, other translations talk about caressing or something like that. If you look the word up itself, sporting, you know what it means? They were laughing. They were playing. You know what Isaac was doing? Keeping it fresh just keeping it fresh. And there was such a freshness between them that Abimelech, this, this ungodly king could see it. That's not your sister. I'm telling you all that to say, look, there's something in you that craves this. There's something in you that desires this. There's something in you that craves it with God, that craves a freshness with him, a realness with him. And do you want to know why you crave it with him? because he craves it with you. And if you feel like the relationship has gotten stale and has gotten old, don't be surprised to find out God's not getting a lot out of it either. He craves a freshness with you. David said it like this. You have anointed me with a fresh oil. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. What's that even mean? Well, the horn, the Amplified says, is that emblem of stately grace and honor. He's saying, you've strengthened me. This fresh oil on me, I've got a fresh thing with you, God. 
I'm not living on something old. I'm not living on something stale. I got a fresh thing with you and it's strengthening me. Come on, what it do for that lame man laid at the gate? It strengthened him. It put strength on the inside and where there was weakness, strength rose up. And how, how do we describe relationships that are thriving like that? It's strong. We use the word strong. There's a strong relationship between him and her. There's a strong relationship between this husband and wife. It's thriving. It's growing. It's not, it's not cold. It's not old. It's not stale. They got a fresh thing with each other. I thought I might get a little more excitement, especially from some of you husbands about keeping this fresh with each other. Come on, help me out today. Don't we crave it? Don't we desire it? That's an inborn thing that God himself put in us. Now, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew. Just turn there and look at this with me. Musicians, you guys come on up. Help me wrap this up. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is describing, I believe, the days you and I are living in right now. Talking about the signs of the times, the end of the age. He said in Matthew 24, verse 4, Take heed, no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, See that you're not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famine, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness, listen now, verse 12, because lawlessness will abound. Does that sound like anything we're seeing right now? Lawlessness will abound. But he said, because of that, verse 12, the love of many will grow cold. Do you realize in these end times, these last days that you and I are living in, this is what we have to be on our guard about more than anything? And he's listing some serious stuff here. People persecuting you, tribulation coming, wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, lawlessness. And the one thing you and I have got to be more watchful over than anything else is that we don't let our love get cold, that we don't let it get stale. And you've seen this, you've seen it in relationships. You see it in your relationship with God. The things that you do over and over and over and over again, these are the things where you're tempted to lose your passion, to lose the excitement that you once had. Years ago, when we first began our television ministry, and it was just our small little crew, and we had a couple of cameras, and we had a few lights, it was not much, but it was a start. And we were starting on day one. This was the first day we were taping anything. We sat down as a team, and I said, listen, guys, we're about to start something today that we're going to do for a long time. And we're going to do it again, and again, 
and again and again and again and again and again and again. And in that day, I mean, it literally was lights and camera and action. I mean, it was exciting, you know, it was starting something new. It was starting something fresh. But I told them, I said, watch out because repetition will try to drain you of passion. Don't let it happen. Don't let your love get cold. It's these things that we do over and over and over and over again that try to drain us of passion. But we're going to have to remember that if we're really in the presence of God, there's a refreshing that comes. And this is what I want us to experience just in the last few minutes that we have this morning. Go ahead, guys. We're going to make some time for the presence of God. Because you're in need of a refreshing. I know it. I've known it all week long. I've sensed it in my heart. And I, I, I would say that this week in preparation for coming into church this weekend, I experienced something that I never had before. And it was, it was a spiritual identifying with where you're at. And I could sense it all week. And the Lord saying, Jeremy, these people and my people everywhere just need a refreshing. It needs to be fresh again, new again, real again, not cold, warm again. Well, where do we go to get that? It's like, like I said, it's not just in the, well, the presence of God and the Shekinah of glory will manifest in the such and such. Just go get where he is. Just go get where he is. And then what? Invite him into where you are. You don't go places you're not invited or you shouldn't. <laughs> he doesn't. Well, I thought God was everywhere. He is, but he's not in manifestation everywhere. That's what we're talking about. Manifestations of his presence. How do we have more of that? Watch, I'll show you. Father, we invite you and we invite your presence into this place, into our homes, into this house. And we worship you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.